Good morning. The scripture reading today is from Joshua chapter 10, verses 5 through 14. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon, joined forces. They moved up with all their troops and took up positions against Gibeon and attacked it. The Gibeonites then sent word to Joshua in the camp of Gilgal, Do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us. Help us, because all the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. So Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. After an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel. So Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely at Gibeon. Israel pursued them along the road going up to Beth Haran and cut them down all the way to Azekah and Makedah. As they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Horon to Azekah, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them, and more of them died from the hail than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, Son, stand still over Gibeon, and you, moon, over the valley of Aijalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, till the nation avenged itself on its enemies, as it is written in the book of Jashar. The sun stood in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. This is the word of the Lord. So we've been studying the book of Joshua, and we come to a passage today that contains details that are remarkable, to say the least, right? There are just some astonishing, mind-boggling events that are recorded here, um, amazing things. For example, it's amazing to think that a group of refugees who've just, you know, wandered across the border from the wilderness, that they could take on five powerful kings with their armies and then come out victorious over them in battle. That's amazing. Uh, what's perhaps more amazing is to read that, that at just the right time in the battle, hailstones fell from the sky on top of the enemy. And then what I think probably is most amazing is to, to read here of the sun stopping in the sky, whatever that means. And people have struggled for years. What is this describing? It, it's something um, out of the ordinary. Something unusual took place that day. So this, this is one of those passages that just filled with, with the spectacular, with the unusual, with things that amaze us. And that's why it's interesting for me to note that when the narrator summarizes this passage in verse 14... What the narrator highlights as the most amazing detail in this passage is not the victory, it's not the hailstones, it's not even the sun stopping in the sky. What the narrator, what the narrator highlights as the most amazing detail is the prayer, the boldness of the prayer and the fact that God answered it. So here's how he, he summarizes it, verse 14. He said, there's never been a day like it before or since. And you expect him to say, a day when the sun stopped. That's not what he says. He says, there's never been a day like it before or since, a day 
when the Lord listened to a human being. And you could translate that, a day when the Lord obeyed a human voice. Now, so so the, the narrator is saying that when you read this, don't get all tied up in knots trying to figure out what happened to the son. He said, no, listen, when you read this, what's amazing here is someone told God what to do, and God did it. In other words, what, what this, this is a passage, this is a passage about bold prayer. Joshua prayed boldly, and God honored that prayer. So I want to talk about praying boldly today, and I just have two thoughts about it. First, I want to, I want to talk about what, what it means to pray boldly. Do you pray boldly? What does that mean? What does it mean to pray boldly? And then secondly, what could encourage us to pray this way if we struggle with this, okay? So first, what, is, what does it mean for a person to pray boldly? Someone might think, well, I guess it means you pray really loud, right? Really loudly. You, you raise your voice or with lots of emotion. And listen, there is nothing wrong with praying loudly. There's nothing wrong with praying with lots of emotion. Hebrews 5 verse 7 says, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears. So there's nothing wrong with getting emotional when you pray or raising your voice when you pray, but that's, that's not necessarily what it means to pray boldly. I mean, in, in the, there's nothing at all in today's passage that would indicate that Joshua raised his voice when he prayed or that he was, uh, you know, expressing deep emotion. It's not necessarily the volume of the prayer that makes it bold. Someone says, well, maybe it's not the volume, it must be the duration. If you, if you pray boldly, it means you pray for a long, long time. And again, there's nothing wrong with praying for a long time. There's uh, an incident recorded in Luke chapter 6 where Jesus went up on a mountain and it said he spent the entire night from sundown to sunrise in prayer alone with God. So there's nothing wrong with praying a long time. But that's also not what it means to pray boldly. Uh, Joshua's prayer, if you look at it in verse 12, it's just a few words long. You could read the whole prayer in just a second or two. It's, so it's not, it's, praying boldly, it's not loudly, it's not with emotion, it's not, it's not even necessarily praying for a long time. So what does it mean to pray boldly? I would say this, guys. To pray boldly means you pray like you, you truly believe God is real. You pray like God is real. Like God really, thank you, God really exists. And when we pray, believer in Christ, he's really listening to us. And he will really do things in this world as a result of, of, of our prayer. So it, it just means to pray. Here's what it means to pray boldly. Pray like you're expecting something to happen. Or as, as one uh, author put it, it means to take the godness of God seriously. Now, it seems to me that th this is different than the way a lot of people in our day pray. So, so, so some people view prayer as sort of a religious exercise um, that God wants us to do. It's a duty that God requires of us. We're not sure why God wants us to pray, but he says that he does. So we just do it, you know, it's something we do to keep God happy, right? 
Other, other people view prayer as more of a, a therapeutic technique. This is a way for me to, to center my emotions, to, to kind of find my inner balance, to restore my sense of peace. So I do this to keep myself happy. So this is a common view. Prayer is just something you do either to keep God happy or to keep yourself happy. But you don't pray really expecting it to, to change your world. And listen, Jesus did not talk about prayer that way. Jesus, guys, Jesus said prayer is so much more than just some kind of exercise or therapeutic technique. Jesus, Jesus said, believer in Christ, when you pray, you are talking to a God who is really there, who's really listening to you, and who promises that he will really do something in response to your prayer. So here's some things Jesus taught about prayer. Jesus said, Matthew 6, verse 6, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Mark 11, he said, I tell you, listen to this. If I didn't tell you this was Jesus, you'd think, oh, this must be one of those guys on TV, you know, coming up with crazy stuff. Jesus said this. He said, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. John, John 15, verse 7, Jesus said, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Does that make you nervous? And we all kind of feel like, well, we need to qualify these words. We need to, we need to explain them away. Just, it, it, sometimes just listen, let Jesus speak. Jesus said, pray expecting answers. Pray expecting results. That's, that's what he taught about prayer, that you pray, God is real. He hears. He responds. And it seems to me that that's the way Joshua prays in, in today's passage. You'll, you'll notice when you look at the prayer of Joshua in verse 12, this is not, this is not a very theologically precise prayer. You know, we might even give it the thumbs down in the, in the doctrinal class. It, it's, it's not even grammatically correct. I mean, verse 12 says he's speaking to the Lord, but he actually addresses the sun and the moon, and that's awkward, you know. So this is not a very eloquent prayer. This is not a very profound prayer, but who cares? It's bold. I mean, it's bold. He, this is a guy who prays like he really believes God is real. And he cares about us. He's going to do something. You'll notice, you'll notice this prayer. He, he doesn't give God any legal loopholes to kind of, in case God can't keep his end of the bargain, you know, sometimes that we feel like we got to put some fine print at the end of the prayer, just like God. He doesn't say, God, make the sun stop if that's your will, if this is what you want to do. He doesn't give God any outs, does he? And he doesn't pray this privately. I think if I were Joshua, I would, I would kind of test run this at home by myself before I go public with this prayer? I don't want to embarrass God. Maybe God can't come through for me. But Joshua doesn't do that. He just, it says, verse 12, Joshua said to the Lord, in the presence of Israel, everyone's listening. He said, son, son, stand still over Gibeon. And moon, you stop right where you are. So it's this is not a very eloquent prayer. It's not a very theologically precise prayer, but it, would you agree with me? It's bold. And you get the impression from this passage that God is honored by it. 
God said, listen, finally, somebody down there that thinks I'm real. Somebody down there who knows I'm active. He's honored by it, right? Because he's taking, he's taking the godness of God seriously. So, guys, ACC, we need to pray this way. I mean it. You're, if you're in a community group and someone shares a, a need for prayer, you know how sometimes we pray for somebody and, and technically our words are directed to God, but we're actually giving advice or counsel to the ne person next to us. We're not really talking to God. We're just trying to give them some advice. Don't do that. Just talk to God. God, help my sister. Will you help my brother? You say, well, what if God doesn't come through? Don't worry. That's God's problem. You're not God's lawyer. You don't have to keep him out of trouble. Just pray. It's up to him to answer. Right? Or to, this evening, we're going to have a, a gathering for prayer and reflection. Just come to that expecting God will be there. So we need to pray this way. Our prayers do not have to be eloquent. They don't have to be, you know, theologically precise. Aim for that, but, you know, you might mess up. But pray like God is real. Amen? Thank you. That's not easy. I'm up here preaching. You think, wow, this guy is something else. Listen, I struggle with this, all right? Do you struggle? Sometimes it's so hard to pray boldly. It's really hard. You get discouraged. You feel like you don't know what to it, it, It's hard. So that's my second point. What, what could encourage us, little old us, right? What could encourage us to pray with this kind of boldness? Well, I, I'm going to suggest two things could encourage you to pray with more boldness. The first is God's word. All right, pray. listen, pray with your Bible open. Read the word before you, you go to God in prayer. Why? Because when you, when you read in the Bible and you find a clear promise from God's word and you study it and think about it and you're confident that that promise applies to you, listen, you can just claim that promise. Say, God, I... God, I didn't write this. You're the one who wrote this. This is in your word. I'm expecting you to keep your word. Claim the promise of God. God honors his word. And you see that going on with, with Joshua here. Verse, verse 7 and 8 says this. So Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. And then look what it says. The Lord said to Joshua. God spoke to Joshua before Joshua ever spoke to the Lord. It says, the Lord spoke to Joshua. Do not be afraid of them. I've given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. So listen, God promised Joshua victory. So it's important to understand this, that when, when Joshua prays boldly here, it's not because he was just that kind of guy. You know, maybe he had that kind of personality that he was very bold. No, the boldness of his prayer was not based on his personal temperament. The boldness of his prayer was, was based on a promise of God's word. And so I would just say to you, when, when, you, when you look in the word of God and you, you, you begin to discern um, an area of life that you know this is in line with the heart of my father. For example, you're praying for the salvation of the lost. You don't have to twist God's arm to do that. God wants to save the lost. Or, or, or you're praying for God's work of justice in the, this world. You don't have to get God, inform God about the need for justice. God is a God of justice. You're, you're praying for the poor. You're praying for the hurting. God is a God who cares for the poor, who heals the hurting. So when you're praying in line with God's heart, with God's will, listen, pray boldly. 
Say, God, Father, your, your word reveals that this is something that's on your heart. I'm not asking you for something you don't want to do. So I'm asking God on the basis of your promise. Do something. First, first John 5, verse 14 and 15 says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, we know that we have what we've asked of him. Right? So pray God's word back to him. Pray his promises back to him. Boldly with confidence that he'll answer. Now somebody's here thinking, that sounds nice, but it doesn't work. I've tried that. I have prayed something that I know is in line with God's heart, with his will, with his desire, and there has been no answer. And that has happened to me too. So here's what I think Christ would say to you. Don't give up. Keep praying. You, you know, sometimes, and I don't know why, but sometimes God will want us to persevere in prayer for something. We're, we're confident this is what God wants. We're confident this is in line with his, his revealed will for us. So, and, and God just says, I want you to keep praying. Don't quit. So anyway, one thing that ought to encourage us to pray with boldness is God's word. His promises. A second thing that, that can encourage us to pray boldly is, uh, is God's grace. And I, I don't know if this will click with everyone here, but I think some of you will understand this. Um, sometimes, some of us struggle to pray boldly because when we come before God, we feel a sense of condemnation. We... we uh, we feel like we don't deserve an answer from God. We are reminded of the sins of our past. We recall wrong decisions. We've made mistakes that, that, that we've committed. And, and as we pray for something, we realize that to a large degree, the troubles we are presenting to God of our, our own making. It's like it's our fault. So how do we ask God to help us? And sometimes you, you might even go to God in, in prayer and expect God to say, you know, how... How dare you ask me to help heal your marriage? Don't you know you're the one who, you're the one who messed it up? How, how, how dare you ask me to save your loved one? Do you know what kind of a Christian, poor Christian example you've set for them all these years? You want me to fix that? Or, you know, how, how dare, dare you ask me to free you from this addiction, this controlling sin? I, I told you not to look at porn and you looked at it. Now you're hooked. Now you want me to get you off the hook? In other words, sometimes we might have this, I don't know if this makes sense to any of you, this fear like, I can't really go to God with boldness because I'm the one who made this mess. Joshua, in this passage, had every reason to feel that way too. Every reason. Did, did you notice what brought about this battle? Why did, why did they have to fight five kings all at once rather than take them on one at a time? Well, how, did, how did they get into this mess? Well, verse 5 and 6 tells us. Verse 5 says, Then the five kings of the Amorites, and then it names them, they joined forces, they moved up with all their troops, and they took up positions against Gibeon and attacked it. What was Gibeon? If you're here last week, you know, Gibeon was a city in Canaan with, with, with which Joshua had made a treaty. He, but he wasn't supposed to sign that treaty. God told him not to make those treaties. He didn't inquire of the Lord. He made a bad decision. But he's obligated to help them because he signed the treaty. 
And they're in trouble, so he has to go to war. Verse 6 says, The Gibeonites sent word to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal, Do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us. Help us, because all the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. So you see, this battle, the, the fact that he has to take on five kings at once, it's his fault. He's the one who messed up. He's the one who signed a treaty. God didn't want him to sign it. Now he's in this mess. And listen, if he were like some of us here today, he would never, he would just feel, I can't ask God to help with this. This is on me. And yet, do you notice this? He doesn't hesitate to say, God help. God help me. Now, it, it, why, why was he so bold, even though, you know, this was a problem of his making? Why, why was he so bold to ask God to help? It doesn't say, right? But I think it's this. Joshua knew that God is loving. Do you know that? Joshua knew that God forgives. Do you know that? Jo Joshua knew that, that, that when God makes a covenant with his people, even if his people sometimes fail to live up to that, God never breaks his covenant. Do you know that? So Joshua, in other words, do you know this? Joshua knew all about God's grace. And here's the good news. Guys, if Joshua, back in the Old Testament, if he could know about God's grace, we know so much more about the grace of God than he did. So much more. Let, let, let me ask a question. How, how, do you know, how do you know that if you, uh, if you come to God and you boldly ask him for help with some problem that, you know, it's kind of your fault anyway, how do you know he won't just tell you to, you know, take a hike? How, how do you know God will receive you? How do you know he'll help you? Do, do we know this because God made the sun keep shining for Joshua? No. We know this because God made the sun go dark for Yeshua, for Jesus. Uh, remember on the cross when he's dying for three hours, darkness covers the land mysteriously at the middle of the day. That, that's how you know that regardless of ways you failed, regardless of ways you sinned, believer in Christ, when you go to God, you head held high, shoulders back, you boldly ask your Father for help. Because why? Because of what Jesus did for you. You see, the, Bi the Bible would teach us that there has only ever been one person to walk this planet, who deserved to be able to pray boldly. There's only ever been one person who deserved to have God answer his prayers. Only one person. And that was Jesus, Yeshua, God's son. And yet here's the amazing good news for anyone and everyone who trusts Jesus. When Jesus went to the cross, believer, he traded places with you. You and I were in the place of people who don't deserve God's answer, who have no right to pray boldly. Jesus is the, the, the only one in the place of, of the one who can come to the Father and ask for whatever he wants. And Jesus said, you know what? 
let's switch places. I'll be the one whose prayers don't get answered, okay? You'll be the ones who can ask for anything they need. And, and, and so that's what happened when Jesus went to the cross. He took the place of anyone and everyone who trusts him. And so on the cross, he cried out boldly to the Father. There was no answer. He cried out boldly to the Father. Instead of the sun shining, the sun went dark. He took the unanswered prayer so he could give his answered prayers. Does that make sense? To you. And so this, this is why Hebrews chapter 4 says, because of what Jesus did on the cross, it says that we should approach the throne of grace boldly. That, that, that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And, you know, that sounds a little redundant. Receive mercy and grace. Aren't they the same thing? No, listen. Scholars would tell us in that verse when it says you go boldly to the throne of grace to receive mercy. Mercy means forgiveness of sin. Grace means God says, now I'm going to help you clean up your mess. I don't care who made it. I'm going to help you with this. So we come to God Boldly. And so I just want that to encourage you. Look to the word. Look to the promises. Read them back to God. They're his words, not yours. Say, God, you're a faithful God. You keep your word. You're a God of truth. I'm claiming this promise. I pray it boldly. And then look to the cross and say, my sins are gone. My father hears me. And like the old hymn says, bold, bold I approach the eternal throne to claim my crown through Christ alone. Let's pray together. Father, I pray you will take your word today and that you will, by your Holy Spirit, apply it to the needs of the hearts of those here. Speak to us, guide us, heal us, Empower us. In Christ's name, amen.